0: Kahawai Khan's uh, Mrs. Daigo's Awakening. Since Mrs. Daigo was widowed, she never used ornaments or makeup and always ate vegetarian food, not eating afternoon. Once the Zen master Da Hui sent a Zen adept to call on her son, Mr. Wei. Mr. Wei kept him as a guest at his house for a while and the adept talked to him about Chan. One day the widowed mother, whose dharma name was Fajen, asked the adept about Daphwey's method. He replied, the master usually just has people observe the saying, a dog has no Buddha nature, and the saying about the bamboo rod. He simply does not allow them to make comments or to think about them. He does not permit understanding at the bringing up of the saying or taking it at the mere mention of it. Does a dog have Buddha nature or not? Moo. He just makes people look at it just like this. Fajen subsequently sat at night, diligently investigating the saying. Suddenly, one day, her mind became clear without any sticking points. The Chan adept then left, and Fajen sent a letter with him back to Da Fui, telling of her entry into the way, including several verses. The final verse read, All day long, reading the words of the Scriptures, it's like meeting an old acquaintance. Don't say doubts arise again and again. Each time it is brought up, each time it is new. Darth was delighted, without realising that she had accorded with his saying that once one has mastered Zen, reading the Scriptures is like going outside and running into an old friend. Place it comfortably. This koan is taken from the collection called the Kahawaii Koans, koans in which women were the leading characters. In the accounts that come down to us through koan traditions, there are very few enlightened women masters or even earnest students. Deborah Hopkinson and Susan Murcott published the Ka-Hawaii Kans in 1980 in the Ka-Hawaii Journal of Women and Zen. These stories were a great delight uh, to students in Robert Aiken and Sangha, and some of these students took them up as part of their formal Zen training. The manuscript came to me as a rough type script, probably a photocopy of the original mimeographed uh, version of it. Um. Uh, it's typed in that kind of uh, old fashioned style on a typewriter, many letters missing and uh, very difficult to read. Um, and I have used um, it in my teaching over many years now, passing it on to my successors and students, both women and men. Ka Hawaii means little stream that moves boulders. Uh, and a lot of boulders have been moved by this little stream. Almost all the teachers the Buddhists accounted in the 1980s were male and few people had considered the idea of women taking a place among them. Women scholars and practitioners were finding their way um, at a hazy, potentially controversial and hugely important turning point in the Buddhist tradition. In terms of Zen and in particular In terms of our Diamond Sangha uh, tradition, um, it's great to see how things have gone since then. And they have certainly gone for the better. Uh, Witness um, Dr. Mary Ridwin Roshi here um, teaching in our Sangha with such refinement and authority here. Many, many other women teachers in Diamond Sangha as well. We discover the ancient teachings and they shake up the kaleidoscope of our ideas about reality and our place in it. It's like being in love. We see our beloved everywhere, in changing light, in a mountain, in a flight of birds and in our own smile. We know this unerringly and like uh, Shakespeare's Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, in our desire for the way we wish but for the things we have When we get to know the stories and sayings of the old teacher, both those of women and men, their words open a path uh, for us. And the story of how Widow Fa Zhen uh, came to awakening back in 12th century China is exemplary in this regard. Her name was Mrs Dai Guo, her dharma name was Fa Zhen, and she she succeeded her teacher Da hui Zong Guo. Um, So she, she became a successor. Of his. Uh, Since she was widowed, she never used ornaments or makeup. Perhaps that she was still in the period of prescribed mourning for her husband who had died. Um, She ate only vegetarian food, uh, didn't eat afternoon, and ate like a bird, Mm, apparently. Um, She seems that she lived almost monastically like a nun, deeply sincere uh, as a person, and possibly already embarked in in some way into Zen uh, practice, by the sound of it, perhaps. You know, there are many modes of sincerity, uh, like sitting Sushin, as we are, uh, devotedly practicing, devotedly supporting each other, and cultivating the way together, and deepening Together in the way. You know, when we practice, there is a kind of natural asceticism uh, that develops, and we feel it in uh, Sushin, uh, where we we make do with less. Um, uh, we travel more lightly in, in many respects. I mean, usually with very confined. Uh, Bed space and lodgings and that we soon learn to contract and, in a way, travel lightly. We also um, let go of the kind of a lot of attitudes and uh, that we have about the past and have been cultivating for years. And come into Sishin, a lot of that falls away really quickly. Uh, things that preoccupy us a lot at home uh, often disappear entirely in, in the strangest way once we get into the depths of Sishin. Yeah, well, the widow, Fajen, was travelling pretty lightly, by the sound of it. The adept, uh, probably uh, someone who, who, one of Dafei's students, who was senior in the Sangha, had had realisation, visited, and he stayed for a time and talked to Mrs Guo's son uh, about Zen. Although the teachings were not intended for her, as a woman and a layperson, she was not included in and was most likely serving the adept and her son. Shen um, uh, was fascinated by what she heard and she took the opportunity to ask the adept about Da Hui's methods. this probably wasn't easy, Um, you know, as an outsider, as someone who probably felt um, sidelined by the whole conversation and intensity. I know with my partner, Antoinette, when she says, you know, we're going out, we're going out for some Zen people, she says, no, it's going to be all about Zen, you know. I know we're not going to bear this, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because there's an intensity in, in that kind of talk and there's a sense of connection which doesn't intend to exclude, but it certainly feels like it does. And uh, maybe you have your own experiences of this, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, she may well have felt pretty sidelined. So it's a big step. You know, to step in and say, you know, well, how does your teacher actually teach? <laughs> and the adept replies, the master usually has people inquire into Chow Chow's Mu and the Khan about the short bamboo staff, which comes from the women Um Now, I don't have a bamboo staff, but I've got a Jara one, so we can do a substitution here. A sort of staff. Kind. Um, the priest Shan held up his short jarra staff before the assembly and said, You monks, if you call this a staff, you're entangled. If you don't call it a staff, you ignore the fact. Tell me, what will you call it? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the calm, very short, like that. Yeah. Tell me, what will you call it? Uh, women, uh, some... Probably three, four generations later in the women quan says it, call it a short staff and you're entangled. You're caught up in all the dualism of naming and uh, not naming and all of this stuff. If you try to name it, if you don't call it a short staff, you're ignoring the fact. You cannot use words. You cannot not use words. Speak quickly, speak quickly. What is it? <laughs> Uh, showing uh, his students uh, their essential nature right there. Also, uh, when Fajan asked the adept, he said that Da uh, also works with the uh, Kaan uh, Mu. So Da Fui himself, uh, the teacher, Adam's teacher, a, a brilliantly gifted master. Um, he was not known for mincing his words. Uh, his most significant teacher was Wan Wu Ke a Lin Shi master, likewise brilliant, who in the course of an illustrious teaching career wrote commentaries on the cases and verses of Suedo's collection of 100 Khans with accompanying verses written by him. The resulting collection was called the Blue Cliff Record and was published in 1125. So this is Dawai's teacher, uh, Wan Wu. Um, Dawei himself was not afraid to speak truth to power. Um, he supported the faction that wanted to get rid of the Mongol invaders in the north of China and root out Corruption in the body politic, restoring the values of wisdom and virtue to the nation. When the faction he supported was defeated, he paid the price of his convictions with exile, an exile during which a large number of his students, who supported him, died of plague. While Yun Men, Wutsu and others had um, collected cases. Um, to instruct students, and while anthologies and commentaries like the Blue Cliff Record have become fashionable, Duffoy himself put the cases uh, to new use, directing his correspondents to adopt particular sayings as the exclusive focus of their practice, rather than indulging in the literary study of canons and superficial intellectual inquiry in concerning them. He felt so strongly about this, that he ordered the suppression of his teacher's Wan-Wu's masterpiece, the Blue Cliff Record. Every retrievable copy was burned along with the blocks used to print them, effectively removing the venerated text from circulation for the next two centuries. So uh, that is Da Hui. (coughs) Um, So concerned that students were just getting involved in uh, intellectual investigation of Khan's and uh, studies in the imagery and Rhythm and poetics, generally, of the book—a bit fundamentalist, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Dafydd taught his students to call these what are called assigned sayings, um, such as "mu." He taught them to call them to mind day and night, whatever their circumstances, promising that this would eventually precipitate a breakthrough to enlightenment. He urged this form of practice on lay people because he believed it was the best practice for people with busy lives. However, in the Lin Shi tradition, which is the tradition in which Da Fue uh, taught and his teacher Wan Wu, um, but in the Lin Shi tradition, which becomes Rinzai in Japan, um, this became the standard method for koan practice for one and all, including monastics. Um, it's great to have a practice specifically designed for lay people being given to monastics—a neat reversal of the ordinary course of things. <laughs> it's probably one of the few examples that goes the other way. Um, so what we do is koan study these days. Um, yeah, and here we are, um, uh, working with koans like mu uh, Who am I? Uh, what is it?" who is this one, who hears, all which fit uh, that thing of what he called assigned sayings. Uh, yeah. Although there are hundreds of koans available, Dafway only used a few, believing that a deep penetration of one or two koans would be uh, enough to attain, attain enlightenment. To achieve this, one had to work assiduously and with great determination like someone whose head is on fire, to use the ancient image for that. It mattered little to Darkway whether a person was particularly intelligent or not. Liberation was available to all. He wrote, It doesn't matter whether your rational understanding is sharp or dull. It has nothing to do with matters of sharpness or dullness, nor does it have anything to do with whether you are settled or confused. This is actually wonderful because I, we long for a place uh, which is free of distraction um, where we are free of uh, the torrent of our thinking uh, where we are free from the troublesome issues that come up even in, well, maybe especially in session. Um, but he says, he's, he's saying that uh, it's got nothing to do with whether you are settled or confused. Generally, when you are very settled and peaceful, it's wonderful, it's very sweet to practice like that, and nothing happens. As John Tarrant used to say, You've, you're at the bottom of a very, very deep well, <laughs> and then you put out your hands and there are the walls, as he used to put it. So, you know, like the trouble, the tumult, distraction um, is fine, you just keep your Kaan going best as you can and there's no perfect uh, or royal road to realisation you just come back best as you can uh, and it looks after itself yeah so women commented on the Kaan move. Um, um, three or four generations down from Dark Way. Still tr- same tradition, Linji tradition. For the practice of Zen, it is imperative that you pass through the barrier set up by the ancestral teachers. For subtle realisation, it's of the utmost importance that you cut off the mind road. If you do not pass through the barrier of the ancestors, if you do not cut off the mind road, then you are a ghost clinging to bushes and grasses. I can remember when Aiken Roshi came to Western Australia in 1985, I think it was, and it was very difficult to get to the um, uh, to the Doxan room. I think it must have been all the room where we were meeting, and he had to go through the bush at four o'clock in the morning, and I think he was pushing his way <laughs> through branches and things like this, you know. And uh, Jeff Dawson, who came over from Sydney to help us get session going here. Um, he choked he with Roshi, he said, uh, so you're like a ghost clinging to bushes and branches, Roshi. He said, nah, he said, they're clinging to me. <laughs> <laughs> so this line goes on reverberating down, down history and down the tradition. Um, look, it's very, very important. Cutting off the mind road does not mean uh, emptying your mind of all thought. Yeah, that's, that's quite, quite wrong. <clears throat> Look, even if you succeed in doing it, it's only momentary. As soon as you realise that your mind is empty of all thought, it's not. Okay? So you can't even sit around and enjoy it. <laughs> A monk said you know, uh, to Yun-men, if no thought arises, what about that? And Yun-men said, Mount Sumeru, which is the peak of wonder, the peak of enlightenment. You know? Oh, wonderful, no thought arising. Oh, no, don't, sorry, I've got to get it right. <laughs> the monk asks, um, no thought arises, is there any fault or not? That's the card. Yun-men says, oh, Mount Sumeru, peak of wonder, beautiful snow-covered peak um, in the centre of the universe, all of that. And he's also saying, the fault is enormous. <laughs> Absolutely enormous. Both are there in that ironic way that Wu has with these sort of uh, a double entendre kind of responses that he gives. Yeah, don't cultivate that. Yeah, what Wu is saying is let go of trying to resolve what is Mu intellectually. Don't try and get intellectual solutions. This is a quite different matter. Uh, I think cutting off the mind road leads people to feel that, that if they're thinking at all, there is something very wrong. They haven't cut it off. But thought arising and falling is fine. Uh, don't intellectualise the koan, though. Don't try and get intellectual responses to mood. Then you are a ghost if you're caught up in just in the, uh, an intellectual response to the koan. So, he says it is just this one word, mu, uh, one barrier of our faith. We call it the gateless barrier. Okay, it's a barrier, but it's completely open at the same time. You are not limited by your skin. You are not limited by your skull. You are not limited by your sensory range. It is very natural to think that it is within the sensory field. It includes only the sensory field. This is almost automatic in our presuppositions about the way. But it is not bounded by that. Uh, at all. True seeing is two candles on the altar, flowers, reflection of candles. Buddha figure. Where are the senses? When you pass through this barrier, you will not only interview Chao Cho intimately you will walk hand-in-hand with all the ancestral teachers in the successive generations of our lineage. Won't that be fulfilling? Is there anyone who would not want to pass through that barrier? You know, there is no time barrier either. You know, the metaphor for the way is something which apparently spreads out in space. This is totally misleading. But also, there is, no, there is no barrier that way, but there is no barrier in terms of time either. Hearing... <laughs> I used to do this case in Nelson, and it was always hearing with the same eyes, seeing with the same ears. Um, and... Uh, It would always, uh, Amin would always laugh at the back. (laughs) But uh, there is something to that uh, as well. Um, Yeah. Interview Chao Cho intimately, walking hand in hand with all of the ancestors of our lineage. So, make a whole body a mass of doubt. Yamada Roshi used to say, this is becoming one with Mu. Make your whole body a mass of doubt. And we have 360 bones and 84,000 hair follicles concentrate on this one word, Mu. Day and night, keep digging into it. Don't consider it to be nothingness. Don't consider it to be somethingness either. I remember struggling to articulate this matter in the early years of so my practice. and I would come up with things like sothing instead of uh, which com- combines nothing and something. So think. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> 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 At least it didn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's still intellectualising the way, though. Um. Don't think of it in terms of has or has not. This goes back to the original thing about the dog having buddha nature. Um, does the dog have buddha nature or not? Don't get caught up in having or not having, Here, yeah. Do you have buddha nature? Hmm. Yeah. Let go of the idea of having or not having. And let go of basic concepts like being and non-being. I mean, we take being so much for granted. Being expressed like that is a concept. Non-being is a concept. Uh, thusness, which haunts Soto writings, uh, is a concept. Uh, suchness is a, you know—well, because you run out of words, so you end up inventing this uh, philosophical kind of term. But they are all concepts. It's important to let go of all of that. It's not difficult, you know. Just don't entertain it. What's here? What's here now? <laughs> Got nothing to do with dustness, whatever dustness is. You know, um, when the energy is high, you can bring high energy to the investigation. When your energy is low and it's just a modicum of consciousness, use yes, the small modicum of consciousness to come back to your God. I'm talking about mood, but all of this applies to who am I, who is this one, who is hearing that sound, what is the sound of one hand, and so on. All of those. Women says, if you do not falter, then it's done. A single spark lights your dharma. If you do falter, that's all right too. We all falter a thousand times as we come up to the gate. It's not a problem. (laughs) Mrs Guo was inspired by the adept's words. Actually, these are women's words, you know, some time on. But they will do um, here. The spirit is similar. Mrs Guo was inspired by the adepts' words. She did the housework during the day and sat with Moo at night. The widow's story shows us how, even with meagre opportunities, we can awaken. She was unentitled. And although there is no special way to be, unentitled, just plain ordinary, completely untalented, dull, will be just fine. You just as you are, it's just fine. move through the session, both on your mats, uh, walking to meals, uh, walking out up, up the hill here, going to the toilet. Um, uh, this mudra is good at times, but if you're walking in rough territory, this is is beautiful. Um, yeah. One or both hands will bring you back to mood. Beautiful. Everything changes with that. One day Mrs. Gwell's mind became clear without any sticking points. Yeah. The night sky is tall with stars. There's a pile of split logs lit by the moon. Dark figures here. The gleam of the floor. Her mind became clear without any sticking points. and she could respond unhesitatingly to the adept's questions. So he asked her some checking questions. You know, the experience is self-validating. You know, even if, uh, yeah. Uh, But to have someone there who asks you some questions about it. Often that's really helpful, not only for checking the experience, but for eliciting further experiences and opening. So yeah, she was fortunate that he stayed around. And... It's good to be sure. The addicts approved her awakening, and Mrs. Guo uh, gave him a letter to take back to Dahui, in which he wrote some verses. Uh, this is the practice of Tu ji tu- Jie, uh, a poem to mark. The important occasion of realizing your true nature. And the final verse of Fahen's 2GA read, 2G G read. All day long reading the words of the sutras, it's like meeting an old acquaintance. Don't say doubts arise again and again. Each time it is brought up, each time it is new. This is the freshness of the Dharma. Each encounter is the first. This moment is the first. Even doubts about our grasp of it are part of the richness. Hmm. I still wonder about that, you know. I'm still not clear there. Just that doubt is it. Don't say doubts arise again and again, each time it is brought up, each time it's new. Even your doubts are it. All day long reading the words of the sutra, it's like meeting an old acquaintance. Ah, it's, It's all right. all day long reading the words of the sutras um, who is hearing when you read the words of the sutras what is true meeting with you and the sutras hmm. what else would you be looking for When Dathway received the widow's verses, he was delighted that she had accorded with his own words. When you've seen into your deepest nature, reading the old stories is like going outside and running into an old friend. Or like coming home and finding an old friend...